How's it going, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of Ant and Big Red vs. the World. As always, I'm Big Red. And as always, I'm Average Ant. And today, uh, we got a pretty fun little show for you. I'm excited about it. We're going to get into uh, a little bit about uh, Seahawks linebacker Michael Kendricks and the insider trading saga that he's been battling legally and um, I guess athletically because it's keeping him off the football field. Um, So we're going to get into that. They finally handed down his suspension so we can talk how we feel about that. From there, we're Ant and I are going to go a little bit in depth into the trade deadline, some of the bigger moves, how the contenders are stacking up and how their trades uh, are going to shape the rest of the season. And then finally, we wrap it up a little fun piece on the new 2019 NBA alternate city uniforms. Uh, there's only a few released, but uh, so far, but we're going to talk about them, and you're going to enjoy it. And so, <laughs> without further ado, um, we'll jump right into Michael Kendricks. Uh, so, if you've been following the situation, uh, you know that in About four years ago, Michael Kendricks participated in insider trading that netted about $1.2 million illegally through information gained uh, by working with a banker at Golden Sachs, um, who reportedly was an old friend of Michael Kendricks, and he had a Harvard background, and so Kendricks just trusted him, I guess. Uh, But... One way or another, Michael Kendricks finally pled guilty to insider trading. Um, Once his official statement came out, uh, the linebacker who'd spent his first six years of his career with Philadelphia was cut by the Browns, and then mostly due to the Seahawks' need for linebacker help with early injuries to Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright, uh, the Seahawks signed him, and he played a couple games for us before the NFL suspended him indefinitely. Um for obviously for pleading guilty to insider trading he faces up to a maximum of 25 years in prison Uh, and he came out with a statement an apology um, and from there the NFL finally on October 30th handed down his suspension after suspending him indefinitely on October 2nd basically meaning that he's suspended until they decide how long he's suspended um, they gave him an eight-game suspension just the other day, and so I mean, from here, I I just kind of want to know, eight-game suspension for insider trading for a guy that pleaded guilty, apologized, is fully cooperating, has already said he intends to give back all the money, um, repay the community. Eight games, Ant. What do you what do you think on that? Um, I, don't know, I guess. Um... I'm just gonna add a little bit more background to it a little bit. So, um, like you said, it happened four years ago, and um, like when I first, when I was first researching this, he was um, trying to like push the blame off of him a little bit, and trying to make it seem that like he didn't know what was going down. And and then um, like here's a quote, um, like it touched on something you said, uh, Michael's or Michael Kendrick said. Um, he invested his money with a former friend of his who he thought he could trust and greatly admired. His background as a Harvard graduate um, gave him a false sense of confidence. 
so uh, I don't know, that quote right there kind of makes me feel like he was trying to make it seem like he didn't know what was going down. But then um, like later, like the next paragraph in the article I was reading says that Kendricks would give him, he gave him $10,000 and tickets to Eagles games. So um, he, knew, he, knew, he knew for sure what was going down. He knew what was happening. And um, so that brings that back to the suspension. Um, the crime itself, I don't think it deserves eight games um, compared to some of the other suspensions and stuff. Like, for example, the Ray Rice one where he was only suspended two games. Two but, I mean, games, obviously he was, he, was black, he was blacklisted, but he was only suspended <laughs> yeah, two but, games. They saw the video yeah. before anyone else did, and they suspended him two games. They were like, you yeah. punched your wife in an elevator. Two games. <laughs> and everybody yeah. sees it, and then it's like... <laughs> Ridiculous. God, what a joke. <laughs> but, um, like, I think the eight games is just simply because it's a federal crime. And, um, he was, he hurt a lot more people. Um, he, he turned $80,000 into $1.2 million. So, um, he was, and he was, it was, I feel like it was more malicious than something like that. Like, obviously not trying to downplay um, domestic violence or anything because um, that's obviously bad. But, um, like, he, he, was in, he went into this with the intention of um, pretty much scamming people, I guess I would say. So that's why I think the eight games is just um, because it's a federal crime and all that. And he's still facing up to 25 years in prison. So Yeah, so, I mean... I, I get where you're coming from. I, I really do. Uh, I so I, the quote you pulled was, I think it was from his his apology statement, wasn't it? Um, no, no, the article didn't say when um where where uh, it was from. It just, it just well, he it. said he says something similar along those lines in his in his apology statement. Uh, so on the 29th of August, he's put out that statement. Um, and in there he says, uh. While I don't fully understand all of the, or while I didn't understand all of the details of the illegal trades, I knew it was wrong, and I wholeheartedly regret my actions. Uh, so I mean, it's a little, a little more owning up, I guess. I mean, he's still pushing it off, saying that he didn't quite understand, but but he I mean, obviously he knew it was illegal, and he shouldn't have been doing it. Um, but he did, and so I get where you're coming from. It is it is a felony. Um, he does he's still yet to be sentenced. The sentencing hearing is in January, um, and so he still does face up to 25 years in prison. I really don't think that he's going to get anywhere close to that. I mean, the all the news and headlines all still say Michael Kendrick's facing up to 25 years in prison. I mean, no. He's not facing up to 25 years in prison. He's fully cooperating. Yeah, if, if he goes to jail at all or prison at all, um, what I read is it'll most likely be for like 8 to 12 months. If he, yep. if he even goes to prison, it'll be like 8 to 12 months. Yep, and I honestly, my prediction would be that he's not going to go to prison. Um, but just f even, even sentencing aside, and I, the NFL is just so ambiguous in the way that it applies suspensions. I 
like some of the longest this is one of the longest suspensions that they've handed out besides Josh Gordon smoking pot for the second time and of course we already mentioned it the Ray Rice video going viral um, and so I, most of the other suspensions are six games a lot of the domestic violence suspensions are six games um, your first PED suspension is four games um, now obviously the NFL has a bigger platform here because they can use an actual criminal conviction or guilty plea to back their suspensions whereas in like the Ezekiel Elliott suspension of six games uh, where he was accused by just I don't know he was accused by a lot of different women of either domestic violence or sexual harassment and while he now, I'm not going to speak to any of it. I don't care right now to talk about Ezekiel Elliott and his history. But what the point is, he wasn't even convicted of any of these things and got a six-game suspension because the NFL wanted to make a statement on domestic violence and sexual harassment that they were... I mean, this is they, this was coming fresh off of that, the one girl releasing her book in which she talked about Peyton Manning putting his nuts on her forehead in college. So, I mean, the NFL's <laughs> yeah. reeling. And so they're... Yeah, and I mean, yeah, to backtrack a little bit, if they really wanted <clears throat> to make a statement, they would have uh, suspended Ray Rice at least more than two games for uh, yeah, but that, <laughs> that incident. Exactly. And, like, that's the thing is, like, it. they're trying to make a statement because they've just been burned so bad. I, like, to see a video like that of punching your wife or whatever, I don't think they were married at the time, but punching your significant other in the elevator, and the National Football League sees this video and is like, yeah, two games. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's... Nobody's going to see this video. But it's the fact that it's public, the fact that it's viral. Everyone's seeing it and can make a judgment on it. And so, because of that, the NFL feels like they have to step up and do something about it. And so Michael Kendricks gets pleads guilty to insider trading, a felony, and the Browns immediately cut him. The NFL is probably immediately thinking, like, sweet, we don't have to worry about this. He got cut. Nobody's going to sign him. Oops, the Seahawks signed him. He plays a couple games. Now the NFL is like, all right, we don't know exactly what to do, but you're suspended. And we'll tell you when when we feel like it. Uh, so, I mean, I first of all, I'm surprised that the suspension came, like, this soon. I, I assumed that they were just going to wait it out until his trial. Um, so I guess in that respect, I'm happy with it. Or I'm a little more okay with it because it's going to be retroactive. Um, and this eight-game suspension will put him back December 10th against the Vikings. Um, but I mean, overall to me, I guess I'm, I've translated this into less about is his suspension fair or not, which I don't think it is. I think it should be six games. Um, but my more underlying theme, I guess, is the NFL is just so ambiguous in the way that they give out suspensions. It's They really have no standard. It's like they kind of just see how it goes and see how the public reacts. And if the public likes the suspensions they've handed out, then they repeat them if the public reacts really negatively and it's something like too too soft as a suspension for a crime, then the NFL gets major backlash, and so it's it's tough. I, I guess just kind of the way I'm seeing it is like the NFL suspension policies are being dictated by public opinion. Um, kind of thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see that. I feel that way too. Um, NFL and their suspensions is ridiculous. Um, 
like I guess I feel like this crime and stuff, like they they game suspension just on this on this um, topic alone, just focusing on Michael Kendricks, like yeah, I, it deserves eight games. Um, like leaving out all the other stuff, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, because clearly, like almost ninety percent of all the other suspensions in the NFL should have been um, at least a few more games. But yeah, when it comes down to this, um, a game sounds right for me. A federal crime. Um, yeah, they like you said they were trying to deal with it um, until he eventually got signed. Yeah. So they didn't like black, like he wasn't blacklisted at all. Like Ray Rice was, um, he got signed, and then they decided to deal with it. And then yeah, the public reaction is pretty much all their is what they're basing their suspensions off of, like you said. Yeah, and so. If I'm sitting here objectively, an eight-game suspension for a federal crime where he faces up to 25 years in prison, he's already admitted to it. If I'm looking completely objectively, and I haven't seen these these two-game suspensions for Ray Rice hitting his significant other, Ezekiel Elliott being accused of sexual harassment, six games. I, if I hadn't seen these other ones for these domestic violence and sexual harassment cases, I would probably be like, yeah, all right. I mean, eight games, like... Yeah, you committed a felony. Uh, that should be your suspension. I would honest. I looking now, I'd probably be totally okay with it. I'd be like, yep, eight games, whatever. It is what it is. At least it's retroactive. He's gonna be back the tenth against the Vikings. Um, but I just I can't look past all these other suspensions. And so, like I said, it's kind of less about Michael Kendrick specifically and his his case deserving more mercy and more about just how inconsistent the NFL is and just like the complete lack of lack of understanding of how how they should give out suspensions I mean it's you can listen yeah and I mean at the end of the day um anybody who knows anything about the NFL can agree that Roger Goodell and the way um he and the NFL handles suspensions is a joke so 100 percent I mean we talked about Roger Goodell doing some good things earlier in this year but I don't know. I don't know what it's gonna take—a good smack behind the head for him to figure it out. I guess it's—I <laughs> guess it's a learning process. I guess that's all we can really hope for is that Roger is learning, and now he's going to give bigger suspensions to people that deserve it. Um, so maybe Michael Kendricks is a a changing of the guard in that regard, almost, um, in that the NFL is gonna start cracking down on everything more seriously. Um, I, I, yeah, that's, that's about all I got for Michael Kendricks. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous the way suspensions are, um, handed down in the NFL these days. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's, the toughest part about it is it almost seems like the NFL would rather just avoid the spotlight. They have so much stuff going on with, like, head injuries and the danger of the sport and, domestic violence following it around so I mean it's almost like rather than just hand out tough suspensions and show that they're firm on these policies it almost seems more like the NFL would rather just kind of be like god I hope nobody notices that jeez yikes that would suck to handle and then it happens and they have to handle it and they're woefully unprepared yeah well I guess um, from one uh, NFL topic to another uh 
the trade deadline re recently passed this week. Um, it, was, uh, it was pretty eventful. Um, usually the NFL isn't really big on trades, especially at the trade deadline. That's more of a MLB and NBA thing. But this year, well, last year was an exception, and this year was an exception as well with um, a lot of teams getting in on some trade action. So uh, I guess I'll let you take it from here. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, typically the NFL isn't huge on trades. It's it's oftentimes a lot harder to integrate a player midseason into your football scheme, um, whether it's defensively or offensively, than it is to add them to your roster on the baseball diamond or on the court. Um, but, yeah, it was a lot of exciting trades. Um, I'll just kind of gloss over the big ones, and we'll get into them individually. Um, this one's a little earlier before the trade deadline, but I still feel like Amari Cooper to the Cowboys is worth talking about. Uh, Golden Tate to the Eagles, uh, that was a big one. Demarius Thomas to the Texans, uh, a lot of money being exchanged in that one. And then uh, Dante Fowler to the Rams, adding to their stacked defensive line. Uh, and then... The Saints, the 6-1 and one Saints picking up Eli Apple. Um, so from there, uh, I'll just jump right into the first trade. Uh, Mari Cooper to the Cowboys. Um, I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit in the last week or two when we were on our Raiders kick. Um, the Raiders were in sell mode, and and I, I guess we kind of talked about this last week, about how they're in full tank mode, fire sale. Gruden traded Amari Cooper, like... He's given up, blah, blah, blah. I don't know about you, Ant, but John Gruden looks like a genius right now. Getting a first-round pick for Amari Cooper. Well, I I know he's got a little more time on his contract than some of the other guys, and obviously the there's differences. He's still a young, budding, potentially young, budding star. But a first-round pick? No other receiver that got traded got a second-round pick. Golden Tate's been one of the most consistent receivers in the league for, like, four years. And... He got a third-round pick. They traded a third-round pick for him. So, I mean, A. Jerry Jones looks like a buffoon for giving up a first-round pick for Amari Cooper, who has a lot of talent, but is also third in the league in drops since 2015 and has a tendency to just kind of disappear at times. Um, so don't get me wrong. I think Amari Cooper has plenty of potential. Um, but, I, I, I mean, i got to say the Raiders are big winners in this trade. Um yeah, for sure. I'd agree with that. Um, Raiders are definitely on my winner's list from this trade, getting a first-round pick for um, a guy that isn't going to be a part of their future most more than likely is is a huge plus. <laughs> I know I've been uh, hard on John Gruden and stuff, but yeah, at the end of the day, it looks like he's, he's um, doing very good in the first stage of the tank, um, getting, uh, getting all those picks and stuff, so... I'll applaud him on that. Cowboys, obviously, on my losers list for <laughs> the trade deadline. Uh, Jerry Jones got swindled, pretty much. Um, I wonder how that went down. John Gruden must have had a gun to his head and say, give me a first-round pick, or else uh, you're not getting a Mark Cooper. And uh, touching on the Raiders a little bit, they're also on my losers list because, I mean, after last week, um, when we were talking about the Raiders dumpster fire and stuff, and the Derek Carr for two first-round picks um, trade was discussed. Since then, I've been thinking about it a little more, and I was leaning more and more towards the trade Derek Carr for if we could get two first-round picks. And then the Thursday night game happened against the 49ers. So um, obviously, I'm not like that. Didn't change my whole 
thought process of trading him, but um, I'm definitely leaning more towards trading him if we can get two first-round picks. And the Raiders not pulling the trigger on that makes them a loser in some sort because his stock's only going to go down from here, especially after how he played Thursday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they should. I feel like they should have pulled the trigger and gotten a few more picks, but. I I can't agree more on that. Um, John Gruden killed it on the Amari Cooper trade. I I kind of envisioned it as John Gruden was kind of just, you know, gently calling around like, hey, you got, would you like Amari Cooper? And Jerry Jones just immediately just first round pick, first round pick, first round pick. And so John Gruden's like, deal, deal, no take backs. Um, <laughs> so I mean, win that 100%. But over the weekend. Uh, Derek Carr threw for three touchdowns, no picks, and had like seven incompletions. And then you don't trade him. I didn't. And Thursday happens. I Thursday was an embarrassment. I, the 49ers started Nick Mullins, a rookie QB, and just embarrassed the Raiders. And now, yeah. and exactly like you said, does that kind of start like a further stock dip of Derek Carr? I... I mean, it's, at a certain point, teams are going to not want to look past the poor performance to his, like, potential and past success. They're going to be like, hey, look, dude, he struggled for this long. And I know your teams are bad, but he still struggled. I can't give you two first-round picks for that guy. Um, and now, while two first-round picks is, like, a, is an excellent deal, um, if Derek Carr's not the quarterback of their future, I just, I, it just really... It honestly just disappoints me that they didn't move him. Like, go all in. I, you kept Bruce Irvin, too, and they kept a few other veterans that just... It's like, Gruden likes veterans. Um, but when you're tanking, you don't need them. Because you're tanking. Yeah, I mean, Gruden likes Derek Carr a lot, too. But, like you said, pull the trigger, dude. You're, like, we're not... At this point, I don't, I don't think we're going to get anything more than two first-round picks. Maybe a first-round pick and a couple... Of later picks, maybe. Yeah. But uh, yeah, at the end of the day, Derek Carr, he, he's going to be as inconsistent as always, um, I feel like, at least for the rest of this season. So that'll hurt his stock, and we'll just end up taking less from him, even if, if we ever end up trading him. Yeah. Um, I mean, if he's their guy, I guess they can invest in him. But Raiders ace the Amari Cooper trade. Uh, overall, kind of a so so deadline, though, since they didn't really give up. They didn't. I don't think they acquired all the assets that they could have. Yeah. Uh, and so from there, we will move into, I guess, all the uh, bargain bin wide receiver trades since Amari Cooper was the cream of the crop. Uh, Golden Tate going to the Eagles for a third-round pick. Uh, Golden Tate's happy to be joining a team that wants him in Philly. Uh, Carson Wentz tweeted out how excited he was that uh Golden Tate was going to be joining the squad. Um, so, yeah, the the Lions get a third-round pick for an impending free agent, um, and the Eagles get a boost to their passing game. Um, that's currently that its leading receiver is currently Nelson Aguilar with 372 yards on 41 catches. It's about nine yards per catch. Um, that is bad, very bad. Uh, and their offense has dipped down to 21st in the league at 22.3 points per game, down from 28.6 last year. And obviously they have injuries, but um, this trade kind of signifies, just like last year when they traded for Ajayi, like, 
we're we're contenders and we're going to make trades to make our team better mid-season. Uh, so your kind of thoughts, Ant? Yeah, I think it's a it's kind of a win-win for each team involved. Um, obviously, the Eagles are getting one of the most more consistent receivers, like you said. Um, he's obviously not elite an elite receiver, but he's a really good guy to have on your team, um, especially like watching him in Seattle and stuff. Um, and also with the Lions, I had him on my fantasy team last year. He's always putting up some good points for me. So, and then the Lions getting back a third round pick, that's not too bad. Uh, I think that's a good, that's a good consolation for Golden Tate, especially if you're the Lions. Um, Golden Tate's not gonna be in your future. He's mo more than likely was gonna leave um, after this season anyway, because nobody really wants to play in Detroit. <laughs> and yeah, so Eagles, Except, I guess if I had to choose one of the other Eagles, definitely came out a little bit more on top just because they have um, a physical piece as of now that can actually help them right now. Yeah. But yeah, both it's a win for both teams involved. Yeah, and so I, in in the aspect of Golden Tate's a 30-year-old, soon-to-be free agent, um, the Lions were able to get a third-round pick for him, which is fantastic. I'm pretty sure Golden Tate himself was actually a fourth-round pick. Um, so, I mean, just goes to show you how hard he's worked. Uh, he has 44 catches for 517 yards this year. He's averaging about 74 yards per game, which is on pace for a career high, and he's joining arguably a better offense uh, with Carson Wentz and, uh, at the helm. Um, but I, I just can't... I can't give the Lions a win-win here. For, for me, the, the Eagles aced it. They did a great job. Uh, they... They went out and got talent that they needed to make a Super Bowl push. Um, but for me, the Lions are one game under 500, only separated from the division by one game. Um, so giving up Golden Tate, arguably your best receiver, um, Kenny Galladay's breakout and Marvin Jones aside, um, you're just sacrificing, to me at least, you're sacrificing some of your competitiveness. Um, it, I, I know that you want to get an asset back for a guy in a season you're not sure whether you're going to compete or not. Um, the Lions aren't competing for a Super Bowl, but they could have definitely competed for a playoff spot. I know they laid an egg against the Seahawks, but all it takes is an upset against the Vikings, and boom, the Lions are in great shape. Uh, but, so yeah, so I, I... it's It's a wash for me for the Lions, just because... They definitely win in the aspect of getting getting a, a draft pick back for a guy that's, like you said, probably going to walk or could get like a larger veteran's contract. Um, so that's a win, but giving up on the postseason, or I guess downgrading before your postseason run in Matt Patricia's first season as head coach, I don't like that look. Yeah, I see where you're coming from in that aspect. Uh, but, I mean, at the end of the day, the Lions are the Lions. Yeah. <laughs> they were probably, probably going to find a way to, uh, even if they were still in playoff contention by the end of the season, find a way to uh, mess that up. So, um, I guess from one wide receiver trade to another, Demarius Thomas to the Texans, um, I think that's a easily huge dub for the Texans. <laughs> They're beefing up their receiving core led by um, DeAndre Hopkins, who is balling out. Um, now that adds a little bit like teams before can focus solely on DeAndre Hopkins 
but now they really can't because you got Demarius Thomas too. I mean, it's going to help DeAndre Hopkins and it's going to help Deshaun Watson. Um, Deshaun Watson is going to have another really good target to throw to. And um, just beefing up the Texans offense and they did, really didn't give up too much either. So that's an easy dub for them. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I would say that the Broncos come out a little better in the trade. Uh, I So Demarius Thomas is 30 years old. He's He's past his prime, uh, but I don't think by any means he's past being a productive receiver. He's got 36 catches for 402 yards this year, which is about 11.2 yards per catch, which isn't great, but it's not bad, um, especially not bad for a 30-year-old receiver. Um, now, he's 6'3", or yeah, he's 6'3", like 200-something pounds. Demary Thomas is a big guy. He's going to be another big target. Um, now I can't quite say he has as good a hands as DeAndre Hopkins because similarly, a similar list that Amari Cooper on, Demarius Thomas is also on that list. He's second in the drops in the league since 2015. Um, and so I, I 100% agree with you in the fact that the Texans are getting back a playmaker. Will Fuller, the neck-breaking speed over the top, tore his ACL in the Texans' last game. They needed to do something. Um. And they, they bring in Demarius Thomas, who's got the pedigree, he's got the name. Um, the tough thing that they're bringing over with him is his $14 million annual contract. Um, so, I mean, that, that kind of restricts him for next year uh, in terms of cap space. But that doesn't matter because the Texans have crawled their way back to a winning record. I think they're either tied or on top of their division now. Um, they're hot. You lose a great receiver. You pick up a good receiver that potentially with Deshaun Watson could be great again. I mean, Demarius Thomas hasn't had an excellent season since Peyton Manning's been gone, but I mean, more of that is because the Denver Broncos and John Elway are just playing quarterback darts and just kind of throwing at whoever might step onto the field. Um, so, yeah, I... I love that the Broncos were able to ditch that $14 million next year. It saves them about $4 million in cap this year and $14 million next year for a team that's probably going to start a rebuild pretty soon here as the Case Keenum experiment is not exactly working out. Um, yeah, to get any kind of assets for a dude that's costing you $14 million on the decline, that's, that's a win for me. Um, but the Texans needed it. So this is one of those situations where I'd say it's a win-win for me. Yeah, for sure. I could agree on that. Um, uh, moving towards over to the uh, defensive side of the ball, I guess, um, a winner I have is the Redskins with uh, acquiring HaHa -Ha Clinton Dix. Okay. So uh, we could uh, LOL at that. <laughs> yeah, HaHa -Ha, uh, Clinton Dix is now a Redskin. Um, <laughs> He, yeah, well, the Packers got a fourth-round pick, I think, um, which is, I mean, it's not a lot for a solid playmaking safety that hasn't missed a game since 2014. Um, but the Packers have a lot of young secondary depth, I guess, um, and so they were willing to part with him as they didn't want to re-sign him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a win for the Redskins. It's kind of confusing for me, again, for the Packers again. I mean, the, the Packers are the Packers. You have Aaron Rodgers. You're always going to compete. You almost just beat the Rams. Clinton Dix has been your safety, starting safety for, like, five years. You picked off Russell Wilson, like, a million times in that one NFC championship game. 
and you just, I don't know, you ditch him after a start to the year that hasn't been great. Um, I know he, they feared he was going to leave anyway, but I don't know. It's it's just another one of those trades that's kind of like, oh, I didn't really, didn't expect that to happen. Um, but props to yeah. the Redskins for upgrading. Yeah, and the Redskins are like one of the low-key teams, too, in terms of uh, contending and stuff. Yeah, so they're like 5-2. and Using up their defense a little bit is... Uh, really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you said, they're five and two, but no one really. Yeah, knows. exactly. Uh, like they're in the. Everybody assumes that the Eagles are uh, leading that division and whatever, and but <laughs> the Redskins are low key, dude. So uh, Redskins upgrading, like you said, it's kind of confusing on the Packers side. Like yeah, they did get a decent pick for back for him, um, but would you rather have a safety? that can hold down your defense for a year that you may be able to make some sort of run because you have Aaron Rodgers yeah. or have that pick and your bad defense um, takes a hit. So that's weird on their part, yeah. Yeah, um, Yeah. props to the like ancient Adrian Peterson-led Redskins, though. <laughs> Five and two, nobody's <laughs> talking about them. They just got better on defense. The Packers took a step back. We'll see if they can still compete. They got a tough slate coming up. Uh, playing the Patriots this week. Uh, staying on the defensive side of the football, we will go to one undefeated team that just acquired yet another former first-round pick to their defensive line. Uh, the Rams traded with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, they gave up a third-round third, and third pick in 2019 and a fifth-round pick in 2020 for Dante Fowler, 24-year-old uh, former third-overall pick of the Jaguars. Um, to join the line of Nadamakin Sue and Aaron Donald, and I, I mean, really, the the rich get richer in this one. Um, <laughs> I, it's unfortunate as a Seahawks fan. So I mean, I'm I'm talking about this with a heavy heart, but uh, uh, purely objectively, um, I gotta say, great job by the Jaguars to get two picks for a guy that was kind of walking the line of bust label. He's had He's had some off-field issues. Been arrested. He's been. He's out of suspension. Oh, there's. There's another suspension. Dante Fowler suspended one game for getting arrested off the field. Um, I, th I think it was something minor, obviously, but. But. Uh, but yeah. So the, anyway, the Rams bring in another big personality and a lot of potential. Um, just gonna see how it fits. But the Jags getting a lot back for a guy they didn't want to re-sign. Uh, that's a big win for me. Yeah, that's a win for the Jacks for sure. And uh, I guess I don't know if I would say low-key win for the Rams because uh, it's not necessarily low-key because they're the best team in football, undefeated, defense, top-notch. They just added another really good piece to that defense. Uh, I think they've done a really good job with Ndamukong Sue and um, really like calming him down, I guess, because he was a guy similar to, uh, to uh, Fowler's where he did have like that big name in a negative way. But since he's been on the Rams this season, and I guess like a season or two with the Dolphins, I haven't really heard much about him. And um, that's really good. That speaks to the Rams culture. Um, like their culture low-key has come around very quickly since they ditched Jeff Fisher. Um, they were a laughing stock of the league for a while with Jeff Fisher. You can always count on them to go like six and ten or seven and nine, but 
since they ditched him, um, their culture has done a 180. They're all about winning, even though they haven't won anything recently. They definitely have a top-notch pedigree culture, similar, I guess, somewhat similar to the Patriots. Culture-wise, obviously, they haven't won anything yet, but um, they definitely have that championship culture, and I think that will be a good influence. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot easier to behave when your team's the first seed in your conference. Um, I, I, Ndamukong Sue, I think, has probably just matured a little bit um, as yeah. he's in the latter part of his career. But, I mean, when you walk – I mean, he was on a tumultuous Dolphins team, and you didn't hear a lot about that. So, I mean, it's – to come to come into an organization, like you said, that has this pedigree, and Sean McVay uh, is – just trying to preach to these guys what a what a championship team is, what a championship mindset is, um, and I mean the the big personalities are blending together. Uh, Marcus Peters, Akib Talib, Nadamikin Sue, um, these are all all guys that have had off field issues or definitely know how to talk on the field. Uh, so adding Dante Fowler, it's a calculated risk. Um, I, I think it's a risk for the Rams because they are they are giving up a third and fifth round. I mean, they're giving up assets for the future, so that's obviously always a risk. But it's not that big of a risk. They're third round picks and a fifth round pick. Uh, and it has the potential to elevate their defense to Super Bowl, Super Bowl caliber. All the contenders beef up. We already saw it. Um, the Eagles, the Texans, the Redskins, the, the Saints... The Saints made a trade. We'll talk about in a second here. Um, but so, you know, and for the Rams to upgrade at all, um, rich get richer or not, to upgrade your D-line, you always need more pass rush. So it's a, it's a risk for the Rams, but not a very big one, and the, the reward is very high because if Dante Fowler can get anywhere near the athleticism or potential that he showed that made him the third overall pick, the Rams' scary, scary defense got even scarier yeah and I'm moving from one from one risky move to another um, the Saints I kind of have them on my losers list but it's questionable because they got Eli Apple everybody knows the bad Apple he's uh, been locker room cancer his whole career so far um, but why I have it why it's questionable for me is because they didn't really give up much for him. So it's kind of like they're playing with house money, I guess. If he doesn't work out, they could always just release him or, you know, just don't play him or something like that. Um, so that's not – it's – they're taking a risk, but it's a low-risk type of deal. So um, that's pretty much all I have on the Saints. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll just say something quick on it. I mean, it's – I think it's a, it is risky – yeah, it's just a fourth-round pick, but it's risky because the Saints don't have a ton of draft picks and draft assets as it is uh, right now. And so, I mean, if Eli Apple doesn't show up and ball out and take that defense to the next level, which they need it to, um, yes, they're 6-1. and one. Their wins aren't super con – well, I shouldn't say all of them. Some of their wins aren't super convincing. <laughs> yeah. They lost to the Bucks on opening night, so you know that defense can get shredded. Um so, I mean, if Eli Apple can, I don't know, maybe take some of the Sean Payton culture and embrace it, um, and he fits into that defense, great. They've upgraded. Fourth-round pick, who cares? But if not, 
Um, if Eli Apple stays kind of the bad apple that you mentioned, um, the Saints the Saints will come out lose losers in this in this trade deadline just because they won't have upgraded. They'll be six and one. They'll be the closest team to the Rams uh, in terms of having a chance in the NFC. But if Eli Apple's a bust, it doesn't matter because the Rams got better and they didn't. And even if the Rams even if the Rams trade busts, eh, it doesn't matter. They're the Rams could have done nothing. <laughs> they're already they're already best yeah. defense in the league. Anyway. The Rams could have no, done nothing do. <laughs> and been totally fine. Um, so it's it's a risky pick, a risky bit of a risky trade here for the for the Saints, I think, in my opinion. Um, definitely got the upside, but we'll just have to see how it pans out. Yeah, it does have upside. I don't think it's as big of, as of a risk as you, but it is somewhat of a risk at least. Um, Moving on, I guess, to my last loser is Le'Veon Bell. Um, didn't get traded, nothing. He's still just sitting at home on the couch, losing millions of dollars every week. So that's enough for sure. Yeah, I, 100%. Um, and, I mean, the situation is just getting increasingly more confusing. And he was supposed to report on the week eight bye. Um, does, I, it doesn't – I don't even know if he's going to show up, I, quite frankly. I, week 10 is the, like – the last chance he has to show up and be like and be paid basically if he doesn't show up before week 10 his contract can get forfeited forfeited into the next year i think the saint or not the saints the steelers would decline it i think that if Le'Veon bell let it get to that they're done with Le'Veon bell uh, james connor's playing well um but yeah didn't get traded um nobody really knows what's going on he he's not communicating much they're not trying to work out any kind of contract at all um, Le'Veon Bell, even if he shows up at Week 10, the Steelers will use a two-week exception, or they'll use the two-week exemption before they have to pay him, um, and before he plays. And so it's, yeah, all bad on the Le'Veon Bell front. I mean, what, yeah. what? And even at this point, if he does come back, is he even going to play? Like you said, James Carter's playing pretty good, so I mean, if I'm the Steelers, who would, who would I rather have? A guy that's been playing all season, is in great form, doing performing pretty well, or a guy that's obviously he hasn't just been sitting on the couch this whole time, but a guy that has been home all season, hasn't played a, touch, a down of football in almost the whole year. Um, I'm definitely, if I'm the Steelers, I'm going James Conner. So, I mean, sad to see Le'Veon Bell take this out, but, I mean... I guess it had to happen. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it earlier in the year. It's a, it's a solid stance, and running backs deserve to be paid more. Um, different positions deserve to be paid more. Um, but this is a prime example of all the power that the NFL and the NFL owners have. Um, Le'Veon Bell's, I'm sorry, but you're not going to get paid. And I don't even know. I don't know where you're going to end up in a few weeks because your contract's going to be forfeited, but the Steelers aren't taking you. They got James Conner. He's young. He's not complaining about money, and he's doing well. Um, Le'Veon Bell is obviously talented and probably more talented than James Conner, but I, to reference my Seahawks team, they're all filled with young guys that have potential that are doing pretty well right now. So it's a lot easier to say this, but they have a lot of young guys with potential that are just quietly going about their business and working hard. And so I'm taking that over the veteran that's had a lot of off-field complaint issues, and whether they're warranted or not, that's still a distraction for your team, and James Conner just doesn't provide that, and Le'Veon Bell's taking that out. Yeah, unfortunately taking that out. Oh, yeah. 
definitely not a good thing for the NFL at all or its players, but facts are facts. Yeah, I guess good for the owners in the league because they don't have to pay. They don't have to pay anymore, but bad for the players. So. Yeah. Um, uh, that's all I got for trades. You got anything more? No, that's, uh, we touched, I touched on everything that I had down. Um, so I guess we'll move into the new NBA City jerseys. Um, not all of them have came out, obviously, but we have a pretty good sample size. Um, it's something like eight, eight or nine teams have um, some jerseys out. So I'm going to do my worst to first list, but before I do that, um, I just want to do a disclaimer. The OKC jerseys are super bad. Um, they're so bad to the point where they're not even bad in a good way, like those Vancouver Grizzlies jerseys are, uh, with like that were like teal and they got like the black with some sort of like tribal writing or something. On. <laughs> they're not even bad to that point. They're just disgusting. So, um, worst to first, OKC. Worst, no question. Um, hands down, the worst. Um, then I got the Magic. It's not necessarily that they're bad. It's just they're they haven't they didn't really try to do anything different, and they're just bland. It looks like something that they've already had. They're just generic, I guess. And then after the Magic, I got the Nets. The Nets. It's their regular uniform with some pattern on the lining of it, and the pattern's weird. I don't really like it's that. Biggie Smalls inspired um, though. That's kind of tight. Yeah. Yeah, that's tight, but that is, I just don't think it looks good, really. Um, then I guess moving towards the ones that I like better, that I will actually don't hate, um, the Bulls. Um, it's definitely interesting. It's weird. It reminds me a lot of CM Punk, for those who know who uh, CM Punk is. Um, so for that aspect, I like them. It definitely represents Chi-Town a lot, so... Those are cool. Um, after the Bulls, I got the Hornets. The Hornets are kind of in the same boat as the Magic, but the colors really go well together, so that's why I got them higher up. They're pretty cool to look at. The color scheme, like I said, is pretty dope. Um, after the Hornets, I got the Timberwolves. Um, I don't. I didn't really know how to feel about these ones at first with the pink and stuff, but pink and black is always going to look good no matter what you do. So. That's why I got them high up. And then uh, my my top two, this one was, it was hard for me to decide. Um, but number number two, I got the Pistons with their Motor City ones. I think those ones are super they're dope. They're so tight. Um, they're, they're pretty plain, but they're plain in a good way. They represent Motor City um, and, like, the car factories and whatnot. They, they embrace the city really well. And so I guess that brings me to the best which is the Sixers. Um, I like the Sixers one just because it's super different. It's something that I haven't really seen yet. Um, it's like this cool kind of gray with, um, that has like the stars around it in a circle. So I think that they're really cool just because it's like a color scheme that I haven't really seen before. So that's my list right there. Yeah, um, so I don't necessarily have a list, um, but I'll kind of touch on it. I. I must have been tired or something last night when I was looking at the OKC jerseys. I actually wrote them down on ones that I enjoy. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe drawing. Uh, something, dude. I'm looking. I, <laughs> even before the show, I was like, I, I like the lettering, though. No, I don't like the lettering at all. It It's awful. Um, 
and they're just gonna they're gonna blind you with like turquoise. So I yeah, there's nothing yeah, different about no, this. I just the big X. We're done with OKC there. Um, I I like I like the I like Detroit's a lot. Um, yeah, it's it's simple, but I mean it. You said it perfectly. Like it embodies Detroit. Um, just kind of like the hard nosed nature of the franchise is just something simple, black, two lines. I Motor City. I mean, it's it's Detroit. Uh, I, I like Detroit's a lot. Um, my kind of see. I you like the Bulls. I was not a fan of the Bulls. Um, I mean, I I I get. I, I don't think they're terrible uh, by any means. I just, they're just not one of my favorites, I guess. So I just I won't say too much more about them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, not in the middle of the road. Um, like yeah. I said, why I like them, they remind me of CM Punk. Um, it's Chicago. It reminds me a lot of Chicago and their flag and stuff. So, I mean, so. that's exactly what they're trying to do. So, I, that's these jerseys are supposed to embrace the franchise history and the city history. So, I mean, that I mean that kind of – that alone makes it a, like, decent alternate. Um, the – there's another couple that are out too that I don't think you mentioned the Jazz and the Nuggets. Oh um, yeah, I forgot those. But I mean, it's it. They look so the Jazz jerseys are those. Uh, they're the orange, yellow, and uh, like the sunset jerseys, basically, uh, like orange, yeah. yellow, and red. Um, the Jazz like already have jerseys like that. Though they already have. Yeah, the, those were their city ones last year. Yeah. So cool. I mean, it's. I I mean I guess the Jazz were like. Their their slogan for it was "Don't mess with perfection." So I mean, sticking with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still like. Yeah, them, I, I I like them, but I mean, I can't I can't love them because it's the same. And the nut. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, thing. and the Nuggets are in the pretty much the same boat with with another edition of like the rainbow. With another edition of a rainbow uniform, which I really like about the Nuggets jerseys is like they're some of the Nuggets jerseys are some of the most creative in the league. Um, in terms of colorways, at least, uh, but their their city jerseys kind of just—it's another one of that, or another another rainbow jersey, and so I mean it's—I don't know. Yeah, I don't really I don't really like those ones honestly. Um, like the rainbow jerseys that they've had previously, and their throwback rainbow jerseys are super yeah. dope. But I, I feel like they're trying to make them too modern. You know. I I, I would agree with that one hundred percent. Uh. Especially as I'm looking at the city jersey, and it's so it's got like the mountain, white mountain background that's just kind of like a cutout into the rainbow, and then the city is kind of blocky. And eh, I just I'm not a fan of the Nuggets. Uh, but my favorites, uh, my favorites Detroit. Um, I already said that, but my another a couple other ones I like. I, I like the Hornets. I like. I just like the Buzz City aspect. I think it represents them well. Yeah, um, I like that. Too. It's not exciting and all that new, um, but yeah. And I, I like the Timberwolves jerseys. I think, I think that pink and black, like it's it's unorthodox, but I think it's it's yeah. cool. It's exciting. It'll be fun to see on the court. Yeah, I didn't really. Yeah, like I said, I didn't really know how to feel about the Timberwolves, but at the end, of the day, it really came down to the color scheme and the pink, pink, black, and white outline. So it looks dope. Yeah, it so. looks good. Um, so yeah, that's all I got on the jerseys. Yeah, so I guess uh, a little bit of a new segment, something like that. Uh, honorable mentions, just some things that me and Big Red saw throughout the week that weren't. Um, 
significant enough, I guess I'd say, to do a whole segment on. So just a couple honorable mentions. I'll let Big Red do his first, and then I got one too. Uh, da, 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 da. uh so my honorable mentions i guess um kind of kind of a couple things i want to talk first on just the kansas city chiefs and patrick mahomes still doing well um i mean this might be a segment down the line when we do mvp predictions and stuff but the dude churned out 13 touchdowns in three games and everybody was kind of waiting for the all right, let's go. This is the 4-0, 5-0 Chiefs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's get to the playoffs and have them have lost three or four already and blah, blah, blah. But the both the Chiefs, like, slowly, subtly improving defense. Um, and Patrick Mahomes are kind of proving it wrong. I, Mahomes is still play, playing great. I I was even a little bit in the bandwagon of, all right, let's come back to earth there, Patrick. You know, you're, you're flying with the big boys for a while. You're going to come down. But, I mean, he really hasn't. And I've even watched uh, – the Chiefs have been blessed with several primetime games so far this year, so I've had the chance to watch a lot of them live. Patrick Mahomes looks legit. I, he really does. I mean, he does everything. He's doing everything well from a quarterback standpoint. Um, he can create when the plays break down, and he can make every throw imaginable and run. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just excited to keep watching Mahomes and the Chiefs and – see how far they can go and maybe unseat the Patriots in the AFC, AF, AFC throne. Um, and yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my biggest one. Um, I don't got a lot more. All right, um, I guess I'll shout out D-Rose with 50, the 50 spot. Um, anybody who has any internet access at all knows that Derrick Rose went off for 50. It was crazy. He was crying. Um, everybody else was also crying. So um, shout out to D Rose. Um, I guess my other shout out is the Crown Jewel event for WWE in Saudi Arabia is um, tonight, Friday. So I'm hyped for that. DX versus Brothers of Destruction. Um, I got DX. Shawn Michaels and Undertaker Part 3 coming soon. So I guess that's what all, that's all I got. <laughs> Alright, sounds good. D-Rose balled out 50 points. Pretty much won that game for the Timberwolves. Uh, thanks for listening, you guys. I'm Big Red. And I'm Abba Champ. And we will see you next week. See ya.